Hi, welcome to Shift Happens, cultivating calm amidst great change. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6, The Third Pandemic, Self-Criticism. This episode is about the pandemic of people being hard on themselves. The first pandemic we've been discussing throughout both seasons has been racism. The second pandemic is obviously COVID-19, and we're talking about the third pandemic as people being hard on themselves. This is something that has always been prevalent but is even more prevalent now since our country is struggling with so much. We discuss the various reasons we engage in self-criticism and solutions that address the ways in which we are hard on ourselves. My name is Jenna Cotton, and I'm a psychotherapist here with my friend and colleague, Corey Graycheck, and I'm also a psychotherapist. If you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we are pulling topics and solutions from the work we do with all of our amazing clients and offering them to you in order to help you. Yep. And if you followed us last season, you know, we structure our podcast, starting with a meditation. We then discuss a psychosocial topic, and then we end with another meditation because life is hard and we've got your back. And whether you're an advanced meditator or this is your first time, we've got you covered. And Corey is going to lead us through our first meditation today, the mountain meditation. Okay, so this is a great time to grab your cushion, get yourself settled. Perhaps if you're lying down, put a rolled up blanket under your neck or head or under your knees. If you're sitting with your shoulders back a little bit, just noticing your seat in an upright position that's as comfortable as is possible, maybe with your chin tucked a little bit. And if you're lying down, uncrossing any of your limbs or fingers that might be crossed. Generally approaching this meditation with openness in our bodies and our minds and our hearts. The meditation will begin with three bells. So first, noticing your breath, feeling your body breathing. And as John Kabat-Zinn says, if you are breathing, there is more right with you than wrong. Feeling your body rising and falling with each breath. If your breathing is rapid or deep or shallow, knowing that in this moment, your breath is exactly how it needs to be and not shifting it or changing it in any way. Just allowing your body to breathe in this moment, however it organically is breathing. And now, as we're noticing our body breathing, 
We are embodying the image of the mountain. The mountain is steady. Our bodies are steady. The mountain doesn't judge itself. And we are refraining for judgment or noticing our own judgment. The mountain is grounded. Allowing the weather to pass over it, affecting the trees and the flowers and the animals, but not moving the mountain. Feeling our bodies as the mountain and noticing our thoughts and our feelings moving over our bodies as the mountain, as the weather and the seasons move over the mountain. and noticing the thoughts that you're having in this moment. And again, allowing them to pass over and pass through and release them. Feeling our bodies as the mountain grounded strong, beautiful, being exactly what we need to be, how we need to be, being exactly where we need to be in this moment. The mountain is always exactly where it needs to be. It's always exactly how it needs to be in this moment. And that is true for us as well. Again, feeling the groundedness and the strength in our bodies as the mountain and noticing any thoughts or feelings and gently allowing them to pass over us as the weather passes over the mountain, affects us as it affects the mountain, but it does not move us. And as this meditation comes to an end, knowing that this feeling of groundedness of the mountain in our bodies is accessible to us at any moment, we can either in a seated position notice ourselves grounding 
on our chair or in a standing position, notice our soles of our feet grounding into the floor and the mountain rising out of our groundedness and allowing whatever feelings or experiences or thoughts to pass over us, affecting us, of course, but not moving us. And this is accessible to us at any moment throughout the day when we might need it. Beginning with noticing your breath and embodying the mountain. Now opening ourselves to the three bells signifying the end of this meditation. All right. Thank you so much, Corey. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. So today's topic is the third pandemic self-criticism. As Jenna said before, this is something that I've been talking about throughout my career as a psychotherapist, and I've always called it a pandemic. Since we're experiencing other major pandemics, we decided that this is a really important time to talk about this because all of the things that we are experiencing can really set the stage for us being very hard on ourselves. The first thing we're going to talk about is why you should listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, and we start with the Buddhist tenet that there isn't any separation between you and I. What that means for us is that Taking time to be kind and gentle to yourself, taking time to work on being hard on yourself actually leaves so much more room, so much more compassion, so much more gentleness for others. So if that's what it takes for you to listen to this podcast, then that's what it takes. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> Yeah, and I know, Corey, you had some really great examples specifically about the Dalai Lama that were really eye-opening about how hard we are on ourselves, specifically in our Western culture. Um. Yes, yeah, yeah. So there's a story about the Dalai Lama. It's online. You can find it. It's about when the Dalai Lama first came to teach in the West, in our Western culture, teach to Western students. He had a bunch of psychologists and Western meditation teachers sit him down and say, listen, when you're teaching Westerners, you have to address the issue of self-criticism. So when you teach the meditation structure and you're talking with them about instruction on how to meditate, the instruction is when you notice yourself thinking, label it thinking, and moving yourself back to your breath. So when you teach that, you have to tell Westerners that when they notice themselves thinking, they shouldn't be hard on themselves about noticing themselves thinking. Mm -hmm. And if they are hard on themselves, not to be hard on themselves about being hard on themselves. <laughs> this was a revelation to the Dalai Lama because in Tibetan culture, Self-criticism is, is not embodied, if at all, 
but especially not in the way that we embody it in our culture. So that was the first example. Mm -hmm. The second example, speaking of embodying, that embodies this approach to life is the Dalai Lama tells a story when he's being interviewed, actually, again, by a Western psychotherapist. Uh, he tells a story about one of his older students. He had a student who is in his mid-70s who came to him to speak with him about doing a Bikram-like practice. So a very a kind of a hardcore, very difficult physical yoga practice, mm -hmm. hot, done in very high temperatures. And the Dalai Lama said, I, I don't think you should do this because I think your age is not a match for this practice. You need to do something that is a little less rigorous. The gentleman was a monk and the gentleman then went and he actually killed himself. Mm. The psychotherapist that was interviewing the Dalai Lama said, well, how did you feel about that? What, what was that like for you? And the Dalai Lama said, you know, I was incredibly shocked. I was heartbroken mm -hmm. that he chose to do that. Evidently, he wanted to kill himself so he could be reborn into a younger body and then be able to do the practice. And so then the psychotherapist asked him, well, do you have any regrets? And the Dalai Lama kind of looked at him and said, no, I don't have regrets. If I was busy regretting what I did, then I'm not available to anybody. I, I take myself out. I can't do good with anybody else mm -hmm. if I'm lost in my own regret. What I can do is I can learn from this and I can be very, very thoughtful in the future, even more thoughtful every time someone comes to me mm -hmm. and make sure that my feedback is gentle and also fits not only what I think is important, but also what they think is important. Mm -hmm. And that's just an example of how in Tibetan culture, the idea of regret in the way that we embody it in Western culture doesn't really exist and is seen as something that just uh, takes you out of a role in which you would be able to help other people because you'd right. be so lost in that idea of regret. Not that you don't have regrets, but that you turn them around, learn from them, and you don't beat yourself up and you move on so you can do good in the world and be available to others. And so it's just a very interesting embodiment of that idea in this example. Yeah, that was really interesting to me when you shared that with me. I know specifically when I was learning meditation, the thought of, you know, don't beat yourself up for thinking or judging, just coming back and, and, but then don't judge yourself for judging in the first place. It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, obviously here we're referring to this self-criticism as a, a pandemic and we want to be clear. We recognize there is self-criticism in different cultures and we're going to get into that as well later when we talk a little bit deeper about self-criticism and where it comes from, but specifically starting with American culture, Western culture, the different cultures that exist, we have a different work ethic, I think, as Americans in general, that put a lot of pressure on us. I know, Corey, you have another wonderful example. Yeah. Well, I think that we look at the, the 
culture, which is really formed around the Puritan work ethic, right, which is a pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The more you work, the better a person you are. Mm -hmm. So we really, we integrate those two ideas strongly in our culture. I once was talking to an accountant at a party years ago, and he said, yes, I do accounting in America, and I have clients also in Canada. And I said, oh, what's the difference? What do you notice is the biggest difference? And he said, Well, in America, Americans save, 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 and don't spend as much and are always saving for a rainy day. We're all all so familiar with that Mm. idea. Work, 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 save for a rainy day. So often (laughs) the rainy day doesn't come. And his feedback was that Canadians, when they're making money, the minute they have enough money to buy a second home, they buy a second home as a vacation home and they start utilizing that vacation home all of the time because in their culture it's really as in many other cultures around the world it's very very important to have rest and relaxation and to support that and there is definitely uh with the puritan work ethic there's the support for being hard on yourself in order to be successful and with the canadian approach and i know it's also the danish approach you work hard and then you play hard (laughs) i know it's the french approach as well it's the italian approach they're all appalled at the way that we take our work home we're mentioning this because it really forms the way that we relate to ourselves what is acceptable Mm -hmm. in our culture or what is our cultural norm yeah and i think that too in our culture working really hard is almost portrayed as this badge of honor that we carry with us. Like I can handle this. I'm doing so much, Mm -hmm. even though inside we might be suffering greatly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know how many times you've heard this, Jenna. I hear it in my personal life. I hear it from our clients, you know, oh, you know, I work so much. I've worked so much. I work so hard. I work so many hours. And then there's just, I go, 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 go. But there is definitely like this feeling of pride. Yeah. Or even power. Like I can handle so much. Yeah. I'm dying inside, but I (laughs) can handle so much. Yes. Look at what I'm capable of. Mm -hmm. Emotionally speaking, dying inside. Yes. (laughs) And then the, the other thing that we've recognized. Jenna, I'm not sure if you recognize this with your clients. Mm -hmm. I definitely recognize it with mine is that people almost always come in with issues around self-criticism, the whole range, self-criticism to self-loathing, I would say. Yeah. And they always view it as a secondary concern, not a primary one. But meanwhile, they're coming in and they're, they're saying, I'm very anxious and self-criticism absolutely escalates anxiety. Mm-hmm. Or I'm very depressed. And what could make you more depressed than beating yourself up all the right, time? Right, right. And I'm not saying this as if this is apart from my life. No, I struggle with this personally. So I can really, Mm -hmm. really empathize and relate. Mm -hmm. I I think it definitely causes us to put our own feelings on the back burner. We don't necessarily recognize the way that we're communicating to ourselves as a problem until somebody Mm -hmm. kind of points it out. So I think that Another piece of this, going back to us working really hard in America and having this badge of honor, is just the the work-life balance in America in general. I think that a lot of the time, in order to feel recognized or rewarded at work, 
a lot of the times in America, we have to go above and beyond, you know, working 40 plus hours a week, the work Mm -hmm. grind. There's this idea of, oh, the American dream. We work hard. We have a nice life. But in reality, the American dream is not realistic. It's not attainable. And it doesn't include any, any joy. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think during COVID, where so many Americans have been losing their job, because we work so much, I want to say that other cultures, you know this, Jenna, but people in other cultures are working just as hard as we are. They're just not working cockamamie hours. Mm -hmm. They're not working crazy hours. I have heard from so many people, the fact that so many Americans right now are not working because of COVID-19 they're losing their jobs or have lost their mm-hmm. jobs and are on unemployment, that they feel like they've lost their identity. Yeah. In some ways, it's really important because they're now able to begin again and develop themselves in a different way, maybe a more balanced way. Mm-hmm. But it's also really, really hard because of that. Yeah. And just thinking about everything now, I think also if in America some someone is to attempt to have work-life balance or start setting boundaries Mm -hmm. with work, then that can cause this feeling of being other, feeling Mm -hmm. different from others than comparing Mm -hmm. a lot of negative self-talk and having to constantly be reminded or reassured like I'm doing something good for myself Mm -hmm. because it can be really hard when that's not the what's the word? The majority, right? Yeah. It's not the majority. It's not the norm that Mm -hmm. we see. And like you said, Jenna, it's not rewarded Mm -hmm. and also can be seen as self-indulgent when you take care of yourself. Oh, yes. Right? Mm -hmm. It's self-indulgent. And it's not. It's self-care. So you can care for yourself and enjoy your life and care for others and help them to enjoy their lives. The other thing about what we were saying, just going back for a second, about people coming in as clients saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm hard on myself, but yeah, that's nothing. So they uh, so often talk about it but don't even realize they're saying, oh yeah, I know I'm hard on myself. I know I'm hard on myself. But they don't see, like we were saying, how that is a primary cause, that's a primary concern, not a secondary concern. Yeah. And so to break it down even further, (laughs) Mm -hmm. let's talk about, I guess, where this comes from, this self-criticism. I think we talked about how based on the way we're developing in childhood, there's this concept of nature versus nurture. If our nature is to be this free spirit, kind to self, confident person, but our nurture in terms of our environment may not allow that to flourish, we're looking at a different way of relating to ourselves. And so this might be, you know, we might experience parents who are abusive, highly critical, very difficult or they lack the ability to emotionally regulate themselves. Mm-hmm. And this can create a lot of issues for us. Mm-hmm. Essentially, if you have abusive parents, highly critical parents, or just incredibly difficult childhood or parents that lack emotional regulation, mm-hmm. then you need to do certain things to survive that as a child. Children yes. are incredibly adaptable. They acclimate very quickly in order to survive the situation. In that survival, they learn to be incredibly hard on ourselves. So we break it down a little bit. If you have an abusive parent, one of the ways that you survive the abuse, it's too painful for kids who are being abused to see their parents as abusive abusive or 
in my mind, in, in some ways, when a parent is being abusive, they can feel like monsters. Mm -hmm. So they can't see this person who's supposed to love them as someone who is harming them all the time. So mm -hmm. instead what they do, it's brilliant. In order to gain some power in the situation, they blame themselves. If their mother is smacking them across the face because she doesn't like the way the child made that sandwich, then the child can say, oh, you know what? My mom's right. My mom really loves me. I'm just, it's my fault. Mm -hmm. I'm bad. Right. I'm not good at doing anything. And I will just make this sandwich better. Then she won't hit me because right. it's not her fault. It's my fault. And mm -hmm. so in surviving that childhood, they learn to blame themselves for everything and to internalize this idea that they're not good enough we get into that a little bit later on in mm -hmm. core beliefs, but they're not good enough and they're not worthy. Right. And with a parent with poor emotional regulation or poor intergenerational boundaries, meaning like a parent doesn't recognize where they should stop communicating with a child about certain adult issues, um, this can lead to a child feeling responsible for their parents' emotions and maybe feeling like they can't have their own needs. So just for example, growing up maybe with a parent where maybe your parent is constantly sharing their own emotional troubles with you, sharing dynamics between them and your other parent, crying in front of you constantly, mm -hmm. or just becoming really agitated or irate a lot and not having the ability to regulate that child may begin to feel somewhat parentified and more like an adult because they're getting all of this adult information from the parent. They may then feel like they need to take care of the parent. They may be giving the parent tissues when the parent is crying or trying to mm -hmm. cheer them up. The child might be looking for indicators of the parent's mood. They might feel like they're walking on eggshells all of the time, trying not to upset the parent. When this is happening, what often happens is this child is sacrificing their own feelings and needs because mm -hmm. they're more attuned to what's going on with their parent. In adulthood, this can lead to, again, reenacting, looking out for what other people are experiencing. What mm -hmm. other people are experiencing is more important than what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And also just having poor emotional regulation in themselves. And so... Mm -hmm that can also be really challenging. Right, because it wasn't modeled for them. And then they walk around feeling responsible for everyone else. And it's not even that they sacrifice their feelings uh, for their parents' feelings. They mm -hmm. don't even know they have them. Right, right. So I think the other piece is highly critical parents. When a, a, a child is not allowed to make any mistake, everything they do is criticized. They're told how to do everything. They ingest this for so long that they embody this criticism. So as mm -hmm. adults, they're very highly self-critical because that is the norm for them and they've never known how to view the world or themselves in reference to the world in any other way. And so their own inner voice that they develop is very, very highly critical and often to a point that it's debilitating mm -hmm. and they have a hard time taking risks and they're always incredibly hard on themselves. Yes. And, you know, based on our childhood experiences, we all do have these core beliefs about ourselves, whether they're negative or positive. <laughs> if any of the above things that we talked about resonate, some of the core beliefs people might experience might be like, I don't deserve good in life, or I'm worthless, or I'm unlovable, or it's hard for me to allow worth or goodness in my life or for others to love me. 
I can relate to this personally. When you have something that's wonderful and loving, you're suspicious. It's not right. It is not what you experienced early on. And not that you didn't have any love in your life or I'm speaking for myself, but that you're suspicious. It's not familiar to you. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can really question whether you deserve that, whether it's even possible to have that. Yeah. And of course, from there, once we have these kind of stories or beliefs about ourselves, it just feeds the thoughts um, that we have in our minds. So things like calling ourselves names is the first level. So saying things to ourselves like, I'm so stupid, or that wasn't good Mm -hmm. enough, or I embarrassed myself, or just any Mm -hmm. of these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Or I'm so clumsy, Mm -hmm. I'm dumb, oh, Mm -hmm. I can't believe I did that, that Mm -hmm. was so stupid. Mm -hmm. Just to circle back for one second, the one thing, you might not have had any of these people as your parents. Right. Or your parents might have embodied moments particular years that they were like this and they weren't like this all the time. What we're also saying is living in this culture that is set up around the Protestant work ethic is we have developed a culture where we are culturally very hard on ourselves. Like we were saying before, just to connect it back. So you might just be living in this culture yes, and you might have wonderful and supportive parents and usually wonderful and supportive parents offset this cultural norm, Mm -hmm. but we still absorb that we need to be hard on ourselves in order to be successful. So that also creates the, a lot of the core beliefs around the way that we do things. And that's how it becomes a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it goes from essentially calling ourselves names to then more, like you said, Corey, insidious Mm. kinds of things like constantly being mean to ourselves or Mm -hmm. feeling like we're not doing enough or always getting things wrong, just Mm -hmm. it escalating and being harder for us to cultivate change with that. Yeah. It's like a deeper sense that we're just not worthy in Mm -hmm. a sense. The third is that we really see this come out obviously in language when you're saying I'm so stupid, et cetera, but that's the first level because name calling is something that you can soften, shift, or take out of your vernacular. Mm -hmm. You don't have to actually use those names. You can stop calling yourself an idiot. You can stop saying you're dumb. So it's, that's the first layer, but then this deeper layer of language is always apologizing for yourself. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. That's something we know a lot about. (laughs) Yes, we do. And I think, I don't know if we've talked about it on our podcast before, but I do think especially not that it it does not happen with men, but I think especially there's something about being a woman in America where it's this permissive kind of, I don't know, language or apologetic language all the time. Like, I'm sorry before saying Mm -hmm. something. And Mm -hmm. I even did it today with you, Corey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I texted Corey and I was saying, oh, I I missed her text. And so I was walking my dog. said, sorry, I was walking my dog. She she sent a a gif back of a Someone flipping a coin into a jar, <laughs> the sorry jar. <laughs> Titled the sorry jar. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and myself included. And so part of that is really noticing our the way we 
represent ourselves in our language. Mm -hmm. Really apologizing when you've done something. Jenna, I think you and I talked about this before where there's this horrible stereotype of the abusive parent. I'll, I'll make you sorry, you know, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. right? Well, we, we kind of flip it and, and say, don't apologize unless you've actually done something yes. that you need to apologize <laughs> yes. for. Yeah. I think you're right, Jenna. I, I definitely think it divides down gender lines and then it would be interesting to hear from our, our family that is gender fluid and mm -hmm. transgender, et cetera, mm -hmm. what their experiences are around mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's this kind of implicit put down of ourselves, not honoring our own space or always feeling like a burden. Mm -hmm. We just don't view ourselves automatically as equally important as others. I think this comes up a lot with people who have parents who take up a lot of room emotionally, yeah. like you were saying, Jenna. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, it can be the result of everything else we've talked about as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think it's just so difficult in those yeah. experiences to recognize that it's even happening just because it's such a it's such a pattern yeah mm -hmm. i mean this is one of the most insidious issues that i have seen in the 21 years that i've been practicing mm -hmm. almost every single person that i work with has issues with self-criticism mm -hmm. yeah and i think that a lot of the times moving into some of like the behaviors and experiences that people have when they are self-critical. We were talking about <laughs> one of the behaviors being people who come into maybe therapy and they're talking about, maybe we get on the subject of, wow, look at the way you're talking to yourself. And something that I personally hear a lot is, yeah, but if I don't talk to myself that way, I'll never get anything done. It's mm -hmm. motivating for me. It's been working for me for this long. Mm -hmm. It pushes me. But mm -hmm. Corey was saying, it works for you until it doesn't. And that That's is right. so true. <laughs> it's so true. And uh, really, Albert Ellis said it first, the father of cognitive behavioral, or maybe just cognitive psychology, I get mm -hmm. it confused. He said, people don't come in. So you learn this negative language in some way from your family of origin, whomever mm -hmm. had comprised your family of origin. And he says, you know, it really works for people. They're very successful utilizing this quote unquote, self-critical, self-motivating language. Mm -hmm. I like to think about it from a physical point of view. Mm -hmm. Maybe when you get hit, you're going to go do something more quickly because you're scared. You're doing it out of fear. So it's right. a little bit similar when you're hitting yourself, essentially, I don't mean literally, but emotionally, yeah. psychologically hitting yourself, you do it more. As you said, Jenna, your clients are saying you're more motivated, mm -hmm. but after a while, if you're constantly hitting yourself, you're going to be bruised and mm -hmm. beaten and you're going to be harmed physically to such a degree that you're going to be completely debilitated. And that's what Albert Ellis says. He said, it works until it doesn't. And when it doesn't is when people come in for help mm -hmm. because they either understand or they don't understand what's not working for them. Yeah. And I think just what we talked about above, when we're talking to ourselves in this way and we don't take a look at it or we don't pause to try to shift this, the, just going to continually have repeated negative thoughts, just continually, continually having these bad thoughts about us. And obviously that creates this sense of let down, feeling like 
we're letting ourselves down, letting other people down, just feeling, Mm -hmm. just not feeling great about ourselves. Right. And another piece of those repeated thoughts can come in the form of a laundry listing. Oh, I didn't do this. And then I didn't do that. And then I didn't do this. And then I didn't do that. You're essentially building a case against yourself, very similarly to how we build cases against others. Uh, They didn't do this. So we do the same thing to ourselves. Yeah. And obviously when we have that laundry list of Mm -hmm. things and we build that case against ourselves, usually those things are completely unrealistic in terms of Uh what we we can expect to accomplish in a day. Um, I think that we're really hard on ourselves. We often think, oh, I can get this and this and this and this and this done throughout the day. But when we can't live up to those fast expectations or we feel like we're speeding through things, we're really just overloading ourselves. And it's just causing us to be way too hard on ourselves because we can't get everything done. Yeah, it's... It's just, it really is. It's so sad. My heart breaks when I do it to myself. My heart breaks when my clients do it to themselves, when I see other people doing it to themselves. Mm -hmm. And I I think we are walking around with a lot of unrealistic expectations, like you said. And part of reversing this or addressing this is starting to make your expectations of yourself more realistic. Pare down your lists. I mean, sometimes I have clients who are like, and I couldn't get it all done. And then I'll ask, well, how many things on that list did you have? (laughs) Oh, well, I have 30. Right. Yeah. Because you have 12 hours. (laughs) (laughs) You're not doing 30 things in 12 hours, most Uh likely. So being in the reality of your expectation, ask the question, is this reasonable? Yes. Is this realistic? Because what is reasonable and realistic can also be very gentle and nurturing. We're just going to be feeling bad about ourselves all the time. We're going to experience deep shame or disappointment. We can experience deep sadness and sorrow. And something we were talking about earlier is when we start to notice the way we're thinking about ourselves, it can also create this mourning our younger selves in terms of the way we may have been treated, whether that was by a parent or someone else or just in general. I think when we start to take a look at, oh, wow, this really isn't okay, it can Mm -hmm. make us feel a deep sadness and sorrow about our younger selves. So yeah, you're absolutely right, Jen. And I think the other thing that I notice with the people that I work with is that it's interesting because people come in and talk about being hard on themselves as a badge of honor. I'm so hard on myself. But when we start talking about solutions, we, we then start to talk about having you notice in the moment when you are being hard on yourself. Yeah. And the feedback I get from, from my clients, I don't know how it is with you, Jenna, with your clients, the feedback I get is, wow, Corey, I am hard on myself all the time. Mm-hmm. And then... The connection there to our feelings about it is that there's a there can be a deep sorrow for those younger selves or that child that was abused, mm-hmm. and a deep sorrow for ourselves as adults that we have to struggle with this. This is a part, not all of our legacy, mm-hmm. but a part of our legacy. The reason Jenna, you and I are talking about this is because the more we talk about it, the more we address it, the more free we become from the self-criticism. With regard to solutions, Corey, is there anything you wanted to add before we move into ways that we can manage some of these things? I think it's important to add here that as we're being really hard on ourselves, we're usually harder on other people. Yes. 
And so it affects being hard on yourself affects not just you, it affects all of the people around you, all of the people that you encounter. There's less room for others. It can feel like others are always hurting you. You right. can be more mean and short with others when you're mean and short with yourself. And and sometimes it's not like that. I mean, I don't know about you, Jenna. I work with a lot of people who are incredibly kind and gracious people. Mm-hmm. Maybe in their minds they're meaner, <laughs> but their actions are incredibly kind and gracious, sometimes too much so to others, but definitely not to themselves. And there is some kind of internal imbalance mm-hmm. that... Uh, leads to being really hard on themselves and then leads to um, harm to others on some level. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with what we were talking about earlier with regard to childhood experiences, for instance, if you did have a parent with poor emotional regulation, you may be hyper attuned to other people's feelings, but you also may have poor emotional regulation. So it works both ways. When we're um, unkind to ourselves, oftentimes we can have judgments toward other people or it can make us mean or short with others, particularly or especially if we're feeling like, oh, I'm constantly sacrificing my feelings for other people without consciously recognizing that. That's right. And and remember, going back to nature and nurture, that I think a lot of us or most of us born as this confident, free spirit, of, of course, all of us are unique, but free spirit, kind, compassionate, and that it really gets affected by nurture. Mm-hmm. And so the good news is no matter how long you've been being hard on yourself, you can get a lot of freedom in this area by shifting the way you relate to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that this is a lifetime practice. Oh, yes. It's a (laughs) lifelong practice, not a lifetime practice like the the channel lifetime. It is a lifelong practice of being gentle. Although if you watch lifetime, you should maybe, you should, you should maybe be more gentle with yourself and stop doing that. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) but it's a lifelong practice of noticing when you're doing this. And so now we're going to talk about solutions. Yeah. And quickly, just to add to that, a lot of the times with my clients, what I'll hear is I feel like I've been trying to work on this for a year in therapy or six months. Why is this still so challenging? But we have to remember, mm-hmm. you've been talking to yourself like this probably for at least a decade or more. So mm-hmm. we cannot mm-hmm. expect that this mm-hmm. is going to change mm-hmm. quickly. It definitely can improve significantly over the course of a few months. But we have to remember, it's going to continue to come up. The first step is to start to notice it. We have to start to notice when we're talking to ourselves a certain way. We have to label what's happening. And then we have to start to choose to respond to ourselves with a more compassionate or gentle response. Yeah. We're talking about the active practice of noticing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, gentle, uh, Jenna, I just called you gentle. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All right. I'll take it too. We notice actively, oh, it's as if you're having a conversation with someone else. I am being hard on myself right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. That's what you say to yourself. And it, it needs to be that grabbing because so often we're just doing it, doing it, doing it automatically, and we don't notice. Mm-hmm. So when we label it in that moment, we're bringing ourselves back into the present. And we're saying, oh, I'm doing it right now mm-hmm. in this moment. I am being hard on myself. And then like you said, Jenna, we respond with gentleness, whatever sounds or feels right for you. 
I know for myself, often it's just, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay are some of the most compassionate words that I've ever heard. Yeah. There's two, two sets of compassionate words. Take your time. Oh my gosh, I love those. <laughs> and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And so the other relationship here is also that we cannot control what we're thinking. If you're thinking, you're living. Yeah. We do not control our thoughts. We got all kinds of crazy thoughts. I could think about apple pie, my grandmother, and NASA all in the same <laughs> 60 seconds. So we do not control our thoughts. The only thing we can control is how we respond to them. So we're labeling, we're noticing when we're being hard on ourselves and we're saying to ourselves, I'm being hard in this moment. And then we're responding gently. Yes. And I think we might have talked about this on another episode, possibly in our last season. When you start shifting your response to yourself, it might feel weird and it might mm -hmm. feel like, oh, this isn't really true. I don't really feel this way. But in order to shift it, we have to try. <laughs> we have to because we cannot continue to allow ourselves this self-criticism or harm. So even if it doesn't feel right at first to shift the response mm -hmm. or doesn't feel believable, you have to allow space for that different response. Mm -hmm. And keep practicing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, fake it till you make it. <laughs> right? That's yeah. really how it is. Because we don't know how to do this yet if you've never done it. Yes. And essentially, you have to create that new neural pathway in the brain. If you're so mm -hmm. used to thinking a certain way, you're essentially creating a new place for thoughts to exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, Jenna, your idea that someone might have been hard on themselves for 10 years mm -hmm. is generous. I, I know. If right? This is, right. If this is beginning in childhood, for a lot of us, it's 30, 40 years. Yes. It's 25 years. It's so, again, don't worry about it. This isn't something you have to get right. This is just being nice to yourself. Yep. It's just being kind. And so it's going to be a lifelong practice. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference, too, between assessing and judging. So for instance, yes. oftentimes we might judge ourselves. Oh, I'm so stupid. I forgot to pay this bill or I can't believe I forgot to do this. Oh my God, I'm so out of it or just forgetful. oblivious, yep. forgetful. That is a judgment. It is different if we essentially assess a situation. Oh, I forgot to pay this bill. Hmm. What happened? Like, why did that mm. happen? Mm. Or I forgot to pay this bill. It happens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Shift happens. Yes, Shift. exactly. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're bad if you're judgmental, because remember, we don't want to judge ourselves for being judgmental. It negates but the you purpose. will, so don't judge yourself for judging yourself for being judgmental. <laughs> Just be like, oh, I did it. There it is. I did it. <laughs> there um, it is. But yeah, assessing a situation instead with a gentle curiosity and more objectivity. Yeah, so I forgot to pay the bill. Hmm, what happened there? Mm -hmm. What were the reasons that I forgot to pay that bill? Maybe I was tired. Maybe I just moved. Yes. <laughs> Speaking yes. of myself, I can't find the bill. I can't find my phone. Yes, this must be a very relevant example. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and so, again, like you said, uh, gentle curiosity and objectivity. So when you're being hard on yourself and you notice you're judging yourself, then you pull back and take a step back and you say, okay, well, so what happened here? Mm -hmm. Let me be curious. What happened as opposed to how did I do this wrong? Yes. And yeah. as, as Corey says, know your poison too. Yes. <laughs> Under what conditions are you primed for self-criticism? When is this most likely to happen? Yep. 
And we all have our thing. I'm not sure, Jenna, if you've thought about your thing when you're most primed to be hard on yourself. Oh, yeah. I think uh, something I mentioned earlier for me, too, sometimes with social situations or if there's social anxiety, mm. the next day, there's, there may be thought. This doesn't happen so much to me, thank, thankfully, anymore as much. But in the past, there would be times where I would be out with friends and the next day I'd be like, oh, my gosh, why did I say that? Or mm-hmm. did I come across as this mm-hmm. way? And so sometimes mm-hmm. for me, particularly recognizing, oh, if I am in large groups of people, that is a time where the self-criticism is likely going to either happen in the moment or the next mm-hmm. day. Yeah, sometimes in the moment, it will stop you from engaging in the large group. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm just like you said, Jen, I hear a lot from my clients. I don't have a, a tremendous amount of this myself. I make mm-hmm. up for it in other ways. Um, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> uh, but a lot of my clients, they'll have a social interaction, maybe not even a large group, and they'll mm-hmm. go home and they'll be, oh, I can't believe I said that or I said this. Right. And I think this is where I like to bring in AA and NA because they have the best slogans. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the good fuck it. I can't remember oh, which episode we talked yes. about that in. But this is a great time to say, this is a t- good time to just say, this is the good fuck it. Mm -hmm. Fuck it. I did my best. I can learn from the situation, but it's not going to be perfect. The goal is not to be, you're never going to be perfect. So the goal is not to be perfect. The Mm -hmm. goal is to find joy, have Mm -hmm. the best time possible. So it brings me to another wonderful AANA slogan, which is HALT looking at the times that we're really primed to be hard on ourselves. Uh, HALT is the acronym for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm -hmm. And so I give a shout out to all my program peeps (laughs) that I work with who Mm -hmm. I absolutely adore because they're so insightful Mm -hmm. and committed and tired. I think hungry is self-explanatory. Angry is self-explanatory. Lonely is is pretty Mm self-explanatory. But tired is one that I find for myself. Early morning late at night, I really, I just don't have the space to be able to conduct myself with grace (laughs) and graciousness or wisdom. I can't get at my wisdom. It's like my wisdom is hiding or something. We're also, we're in COVID. And so we're, it's almost like we're walking around in halt all the time. (laughs) It's like it's early morning and late at night all at once, all the time, because we're overwhelmed by all of the things that we're managing, mm-hmm. which really makes us primed for being hard on ourselves all of the time when we already, like Jenna, you said in the beginning, this is already prevalent right. in our culture. Right. And I think too, if we feel like there might be a situation where we're going to burden others by asking them a question, mm-hmm. that also might be a condition where we know mm-hmm. the self-criticism could be coming. Maybe mm-hmm. we feel like, oh, by me asking this or by me mm-hmm. doing this, I'm hurting someone else, I'm inconveniencing them. Mm-hmm. But you, in reality, you may just be asking for a favor or you're just being a human being, <laughs> mm-hmm. just being alive, <laughs> just mm-hmm. asking for help, which is totally valid and normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes out when I might be snappy with someone, usually my partner, let's be honest. <laughs> and if I feel in some way that I've hurt someone, then I'm, it's really hard for me. And so I know that that's a prime time for me. Yeah. And so with all of that, sometimes we need reminders of gentleness. So something that I love that I learned in MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress, Redu- Stress Reduction, has been three relaxing sighs per day. And so a visual reminder to prompt 
this practice has been very helpful. So sometimes people like to put a little sticker on their phone or their coffee maker or their mirror in their bathroom somewhere where they know every day I'm going to get up and see this consistently. And it is a reminder, take three deep, relaxing sighs. You are in that moment reminding yourself to be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. You might also notice I have been holding my breath. Wow. Let me pause in this moment and take my relaxing size. And so that is just one small step that we can do in order to be kinder to ourselves. Yeah. And we really need reminders because we need to support ourselves as much as is possible in this quest for gentleness. Because again, like you said, Jenna, it is, Mm -hmm. it's not a cultural norm. It's not how most of us has grown up, uh, but we are seeing what's interesting about living during COVID-19 and um, in our current situation is I'm seeing so many more messages. I, I don't think that's actually English. I'm seeing so many messages <laughs> <laughs> of we're in this together, be mindful, yeah. be gentle, practice meditation, mm-hmm. take time for yourselves. I've also never had so many people referred to me for therapy by their companies who are offering free sessions to them because they're thinking of their well-being. So could be shifting under COVID-19, but either way, we need to be looking at this for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the three relaxing sighs. That's Mm -hmm. a visual reminder. Mm -hmm. Another visual reminder could be posters, paintings. I'm going to be putting up two paintings in my office that say gentle acceptance, because I know that those Mm. are the things that I like to offer in my practice Mm -hmm. and also that I need to practice all the time with myself and others. Right. And I think too, having a community to practice with or support groups is essential. It's extremely helpful. I think when we have a community, it helps us feel more accountable, like we're not alone and it can really go a long way. Absolutely. And in the same vein, I think studying and reading Pema Chodron, John Kabat-Zinn, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, Kristen Neff, all talk about loving kindness, self-compassion. And we're really talking about self-compassion right now. Loving kindness can go out to others, Mm -hmm. but starting with yourself is essential and stay with yourself as much as is possible. Mm -hmm. So we will also post links to them and we'll post links to them leading loving kindness or just kind meditations. Yeah. And I think just our overall message of this entire episode is we have to recognize the way we are talking to ourselves, especially in the time of COVID, especially in the time Mm -hmm. of this political season. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. the way that we're talking to ourselves also shows the way that we might be thinking about others or interacting Mm -hmm. with others. So this Mm -hmm. is a really huge practice and it definitely Mm -hmm. can take some time, but Again, if we don't take care of ourselves, it can have a significant impact um, on our mental health, but also our physical health. And we want more joy in life. Ultimately. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And we're, we're leaving you with these beautiful words before Jenna gives our closing uh, PRO, pause, relax, open meditation. These beautiful words of take your time. Yes. Take your time with this practice. It's okay. And so with that, getting into your meditation posture or position, 
maybe finding a comfortable place to practice today, whether that's in a chair, lying down, just taking a few minutes to get comfortable. If you need a pillow or a blanket rolled up for behind your head or neck, feel free to go and get that now. And the meditation will begin with the three bells. So settling into your meditation posture, maybe your eyes are closed or your gaze is down, chin tucked, shoulders back, relaxed, and in this moment, coming into pause or stillness. In this moment, you are still, even if your breath is still moving or thoughts are moving, just coming into stillness as you notice your breath, the in-breath, the out-breath, not changing it, but just noticing how this feels in this moment to come into pause. And when we are paused or have the intention of being still, we can begin to relax or have the intention of being relaxed. And so we may notice if there's tension in our bodies or if we're having critical or negative thoughts arise. And we may respond with a softening tone or gentle words toward ourselves or a softening in the body, or we can always come back to the breath in this moment. And so when we notice any tension or stress in the body or in our thoughts, and when we come to stillness to notice these things, can allow us to be more open can allow us to notice what is and to allow it to be. Our chest may be more open. We may be breathing more fully. We may be interacting or speaking to ourselves with more compassion. And it can allow us to be more accepting of who we are or how we are in this moment. And knowing we can always pause or relax and open throughout the day in moments where we may want to invite stillness, softening and opening at any time. And so coming back to the breath in this moment, and you will hear three bells that will signify the end of this meditation.
Thank you, Jenna. That was so nice. Uh, yeah. So wonderful. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And we're signing off with this episode about self-criticism and we're asking you to go forth and be gentle to yourself. All right. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you guys next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.